Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Kirshanu VeMitzvotav Etzivanu LaAsok BeDivrei Torah VeHaRevna Adonai Eloheinu Et Divrei Torateka BeFinu Ufi Amka Beit Israel Venie Anaknu VeZeEtzeinu VeZeEtzei Amka Beit Israel Kulano Yodei Shemeka VeLomde Torateka Lishma Baruch Atah Adonai Hamlamet Torah LeAmo Yisrael Parsha Shmini. This week, everyone, I hope you had a wonderful Pesach. Let's get to it. Mashiach Mondays for Parsha Shmini. We're going to start off with the value of a pasuk. Very fitting to what we're talking about tonight, since there is doubt on the lineage of the Mashiach. So, guess what the Torah tells us about doubt, other than Amalek stuff? This is what it says. It says in Vayikra 11.47, way after the Kashrut passage, but that's okay, to make a separation between the Tameh and between the Tahor and between the animal which is eaten between the animal which cannot be eaten. Side note, this is one of the biggest things about kashrut. It's not so much of what we can't eat and what we should be eating. It's more of the distinction and the separation that Hashem calls calls for us to make. So just a side note on kashrut, it's really not this health kick. It's not this, oh, well, I can't eat that. You know, it's really about we make distinctions uh, in a world that does not have distinctions uh, this is quickly becoming an issue. So just to swerve off some more, I was reading uh, on Instagram about Sephirat Omer and came across this. So it says um, there is a failure. Let's see if I can go to it. Let's see, go to original story. How about this? Hmm. Okay, I don't know how I got there. Let me just pull it back up. This is from the Vegan Rav is the uh, the underscore vegan underscore Rav account. And he says there's a connection between the failure to apprehend prophetic vision, i.e. chazon, and lawlessness. So vision and lawlessness. So there is a failure to apprehend vision and lawlessness since a life devoid of direction leads to self-destruction and nihilism. Okay, so this week for Sephirah Taomer, we're beginning the week of Gevorah. So with that, it's all about how are your boundaries? How are your distinctions? So going on, it says, note that the connection between the lack of prophetic vision, i.e. the chazon, and lawlessness. Just a side note, if you're wondering if chazon and chazan are related, they are. The chazan is the visionary for the Zibur for the congregation. So just a heads up on that. It says, if there is no vision, there is no direction. This leads to moral and spiritual chaos. Okay, so going down a little bit, it says, sadly, 
visionless people eventually lose the ability to govern their own lives, a state of captivity, and eventually lose Slika, a state of captivity and exile. So why I wanted to swerve into all of that is because with Kashrut, these things help us get direction in our lives. And the amazing Chazan did a beautiful job of this on this past Shabbat. Uh, so the amazing Chazan Halel Shlita was bringing down the fact of Kashrut being uh, such a beautiful mitzvah to help with clarity and also that one who does not eat kosher is also spiritually dumbing themselves so there's a lot of dull mentality psyche going on in the world today because there's not a lot of kashrut and the less distinctions we make the dumber we become so don't like using the D word, but uh, that's just the uh, facts. So back over here, though, because we're talking about Mashiach. It says the Ha'amak Davor, a commentary on Torah, explains that this Pasuk is instructing us to examine and clarify all doubts. So I love that examine and clarify all doubts so that's what i wanted to pull out for us this week from the value of pasuk to launch us in the mashiach mondays for parashash mini if you have noticed i have began to title the classes now according to the parasha because you just can't get enough torah portion right so where are we going today today i want to talk about this doubt in the lineage of the mashiach Namely, is he a descendant or not of Shomo, King Solomon? Well, yes and no. And what's up with the different genealogy of Luke and Matthew? Okay, so let's go ahead and start with our Mashiach who page. Let's let's get a running start into it. 17. So I love this. Um, section here. So let's go down to the last paragraph that says, but being human inventions, man-made solutions are dangerously misleading and only serve to obscure the question of who is Mashiach even more. Mashiach cannot be a Hasid because the meat nagim would never accept him. But then, would the Hasidim accept a Litvik? Will the Mashiach be of Sephardic or Ashkenazic lineage? Would Reconstructionist Mashiach be palatable to Orthodox Jews? Or can Reform and Conservative Jewry accept an Orthodox Mashiach? Will secularists accept religion as the answer? And what of the Gentile nations, especially those with a very strong anti-Semitic leanings? Who will Mashiach be for them? 
So just because I just got to learn this, and I don't know if I've ever really gotten to share this in my classes, this next line here, I want to give an expounded um, thought from my Havruta. It says, furthermore, Mashiach is described as poor riding on a donkey, Zechariah 9.9. Now, poor and riding on a donkey can also mean that Yisrael is poor in mitzvot. So in other words, if there's a generation lacking in mitzvot, if the common consensus of Jews in the world are pretty inept of mitzvot, which is kind of our generation, when you look at the statistics of who's actually observant, uh, not a lot of Jews are. So Mashiach is definitely uh, available to ride in on a proverbial donkey, so to speak, when it comes to being poor in mitzvot. So just a side note on that. But let's go back, though. Gentile nations with a very strong anti-Semitic leaning. Isn't it so weird, but also absolutely amazing and like Hashem, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty that the most anti-Semitic group possibly, I mean, not really trying to look for competition on this, but for the most part, the most anti-Semitic group of people are really the ones who proclaim and even worship the Mashiach. I just think that's very ironic and weird and amazing all at the same time because it's just kind of like we're not supposed to worship the Mashiach. We're supposed to worship Hashem. Mashiach comes from Hashem and he is our attachment to Hashem just the same way we were attached to Hashem through Moshe in the wilderness. So we call Moshe our Rebbeinu and then Mashiach Yeshua tells us, well, if you don't believe Moshe, you don't believe in me. So in other words, I'm pretty much Moshe. Like whatever you think of him is how you should think of me. And it's just kind of like, okay, so what does that mean? So yeah, there's a whole lot to get into on that. And that's for another time. But I just want to bring up this point that who is the Mashiach? And it's all these different things really converging in. There's all this wide spectrum of people, spectrum of doctrine, beliefs, thoughts, uh, sects of Judaism, um, because we don't really do doctrine and dogmas, but it's really on how we apply Torah to our life really is what really makes a sect. But uh, that's neither here nor there. So over here on page 19 and Mashiach, who it says in the second paragraph, Moshe Rabbeinu was also born of a man and a woman and lived a life of righteousness. By the time he turned 80, he had risen to such an exalted level that he merited the revelation at the burning bush Shemot 3-4. Now, this is what I want to point out, that it talks about Yeshua growing in wisdom and in stature. And remember, one of the effects of the the eating from the Eitz Hadda'at 
eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was that Adam lost his stature. So Yeshua tacooned that. Uh, when you really look at what the allegory is and the Midrash is really talking about, not only was it talking about how tall he was, but really the expansiveness of his soul, because we know he was a physical, spiritual being all at the same time and existed in a place that's 60 times bigger than Kush. So start doing the whole 160th, 160th, 160th. And you know that Gan Eden is a 60th of Eden. And, you know, you start doing the stair step. I always quote this, but I don't have it. And I probably should put this on Instagram to help myself out sometimes. But we're going to go ahead and go to the source on the 160th. All right. Where is our places? 160th. Here it is. Tanit 10A. Going to go ahead and star this. And screenshot this. It's important. Okay. So... Yeah, the world is 160th of Gan Eden. And Gan Eden is 160th of Eden. So Adam was the size of the world, according to the Medrash. And the world is 160th of Eden. So Adam took up 160th of the garden. And the garden was 160th the size of Eden. So that's crazy. Lakute Torah, either uh, Behar or Behukotai, talks about, oh goodness, why do I always do this to myself, quoting these sources? Anyway, I'm going to find this and I'm going to post it on Instagram because it's in my notes. But anyway, shameless plugs on Instagram just want people to know their sources and I don't make stuff up. Um, originally we were supposed to go from garden, Ghani den from the garden of Eden to Eden. But since the fall, we now go, if we merit Bezra Hashem, uh, from this life, this world into Ghani den. And then after and after and after into Eden and higher and higher levels and, you know, all the different jubilees that will be happening. It's like, it's ridiculous. So the Le'ela, Le'ela to um, beyond any words, any songs that are uttered in this world and the next world and the next world and the next world. Shouts out to Moshav on Le'ela, that type of stuff. Um, so then... We have this whole uh, point of, you know, we were in Ghana Dan, we're supposed to go to Eden. Now, because of the fall, we're in this world, and now we have to merit to go to Ghana Dan and then go up from there. So, all of that goodness, right? So, we have this picture here of the Mashiach is going to be someone born of a man and a woman 
like Moshe, and he's going to grow into um, his his exaltedness, so to speak. Which is crazy because Yeshua always talked about it's not my time, but he was always ready. Which is just so crazy because it's just like, so if you're supposed to go at a certain time and you're already ready, why are you not going now? Like Yeshua understands what's called Moadim, Moadim, Moed. Uh, we have our holy convocations, our appointed times, our appointed festivals, appointed seasons. Yeshua having time in himself, since he is the word made flesh and time comes from the word, because when creation was brought forth, once the light was shown forth into the universe, now we have the concept of time. So this is why when the sun, the moon and the stars came out into creation, Later in creation week, we have this whole period of how long uh, things were already in existence because we count time from Adam. We don't count time from day one of creation. So all of that being said, you have the light that was brought forth on Yom Echad, the first day. And then you have the sun, the moon, the stars coming down and fourth day, I believe should be fourth day just double checking myself there she chapter one there was evening on the third day and yep fourth day great lights in the sky boom okay yom revi e is luminary day okay brukashim so got all that so then you have adam so you have these three points of light you have the primordial light the torah then you have the concealing of the primordial light the sun and then you have the essence of all of that adam because adam was all light you know so being able to span that gap to get back to the light that came on day one. So the light on day one was actually coupled with Adam and the Shabbat. And it was a 36 hour time of light uh, that Adam got to experience in the garden before getting kicked out for the Havdalah, which is where we get the Havdalah flame thing from. So check out Pirke de Revi Eliezer on that. So when we get into all of this, what we're seeing here is this, I mean, it's ridiculous to Kuhn, is an understatement. So let me just keep reading, because I'm, I'm blue screened on what to even say, because I'm just kind of like, Mashiach is eternal, so he's born of a man and a woman, and it's just like, what does that even mean? So anyway, because it's like, well, Yitzhak was born of a man and a woman, but he was considered to be born of the Ruach HaKodesh. So what is that all about? Because it says Hashem himself was directly responsible for Yitzhak being born. That's the Midrash Rabbah. And there is this ridiculous Zohar drop from Ish Pela. I'm going to go ahead and read it. 
think now would be the best time. Where is it? Dun, 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 dun. Born of the Holy Spirit, Zohar, Volume 1, 60B through 61A. <clears throat> Says, Come and behold, if Adam had brought about, if Adam had brought generations with him from Ghani Din, they would have lived for generations. So, Selah, because it talks about the death of Azadic atones for his generation. So, if these children of Adam would have lived for generations, if they would have been Zadikim, their death would have atoned for their particular generation, which means how many generations did those children span because all of those generations would have been atoned for. So... Where is that drop? Death of Azotic atones for his generation. This is nowhere near what I wanted to talk about tonight. So I just, I guess I'll be okay with getting hijacked because that's okay. Um, Death of Righteous. Let's see here. Pardon me while I source myself. See if it'll work like this. I just feel like notes and notes are flying. Okay. Let's try. Oh, here we go. Yama 42A. That, that perfect. Thank you, Ashim. Let's go ahead and screenshot that. Uh, by the way, just so you know, I'm having a lot of uh, reality moments as I'm trying to compile all the sources for the teachings because I find a source and I'm like, now nah, I won't need that. And then I like five minutes later, I'm like, oh, I need that. And I like, where did I where did I see that? So this is why I'm screenshotting everything while I find them and read them. So whatever you find, whatever you read, tab it, remember where you saw it, because you just never know. And of course, it may end up being you tab so much stuff, you're like, yeah, sure. I wasn't, I, I thought I was going to need it. And it turns out since you tabbed it and you know where it is, you won't need it. But I guarantee you, if you don't tab it, you're going to need it at some point anyway. So anyway, it goes on to say, Rabbi Yermiyah of Difti, this is Yama 42a, by the way, said to Ravina, it is not with regard to the strip or it is not with regard to the strip of the red heifer that they disagree. Rather, it is with regard to the strip of the scapegoat that they disagree. And on that very day that they disputed this issue, Rav Yah Barkisi died and they made a mnemonic out of it associating the halakha with his name the death of Ravya Barkisi atones like the scapegoat since the death of the righteous person atones for his generation okay so the scapegoat is likened to azotic dying that just happened because the scapegoat goes to Azazel. But anyway, I don't know what is going on over here. 
Mashiach, page 19. Let's keep it going. So back in our paragraph here at the top of page 19, it says, At the bush he received a much loftier soul, one capable of transcending all the diversities of the Jewish nation. You remember this one time there was a dove that descended upon Yeshua and Hashem was like, this is my son and whom I'm well pleased. And then you remember this one time when Yeshua was transfigured. Yeah. And then you remember this one time when Yeshua was born <laughs> and like the star was over him and all this kind of stuff. Anyway, Talk about these points in time where a loftier soul was added to Moshe, right? So, Mashiach being the ultimate lofty soul and still having points in his life where there's these elevations. It's just kind of like he emptied himself. Remember our Philippians 2 passage. I think I quoted this on week one. Yeshua emptied himself. So, go back to Mashiach Mondays episode one. You can get you some. Uh, but anyway, it goes on to say he received a loftier soul and capable of transcending all the diversities of the Jewish nation. He was therefore able to descend into Mitzrayim and redeem the Jews. Sha'ar HaPesukim Shemot, page 129. Mashiach will likewise be born into an ordinary family. And suffer the pangs of growing up as does everyone. Okay. So we have a Cohen who is able to empathize with us, as the writer to Hebrews tells us. It says, Rebbe Nachman once remarked, Mashiach's parents won't be so I, 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 i.e. such great people. That is from Siak, yeah, Siak Sarfe Kodesh, Volume 1, Section 83. So again, he grew in wisdom and stature. Uh, you can also check out Orkot Zadikim 15.5 on Safaria. So launch us over here to what the rabbis know about the Messiah. Boy, oh boy. Where are we at? There was a page I wanted to make sure I read. So let me go ahead and do that one first, even though it's out of order. Yep. Okay, Mashiach will descend from Yehoiakim and Zerubbabel. Jehoiakim, this is on page 55, chapter 11. Jehoiakim, or Jehoiakim in English, is the grandfather of Zerubbabel. Okay, so Jehoiakim is the grandfather of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, member is one of the people who returned to build the second temple after the Babylonian exile. 
which by the way, the Babylonian exile was the end of the Davidic dynasty. So technically Zerubbabel and down four from him, you know, any of his descendants technically should have been the king of Israel, but because of exile and all that kind of stuff. And something we're going to read about as well is going to talk about uh, the extended period of absence of the king of Israel until the Mashiach. So one moment, I got to fix my little cord here. Okay. All right. So, so Jehoiakim is the grandfather of Zerubbabel, who was a descendant within the messianic lineage through Solomon, a.k.a. Shlomo. Both Jehoiakim and Zerubbabel are listed within Yeshua's ancestry in Matityahu. It says in the Brit Hadashah New Covenant. Just want to point out Brit Hadashah and New Covenant don't really mean that. Um, the Brit is the covenant. Hadashah is the renewal. So the renewal of the covenant is really what that should say. And uh, really the renewal of the covenant is the Torah. And um, it actually brings this up in uh, Parsha Kitisa about the renewal of the covenant. So I don't really like using that word just to personal preference, but to remain true to the author, there's uh, both Jehoiakim and Zerubbabel are listed within Yeshua's ancestry in the Brit Hadashah New Covenant and the book of Matityahu, which is, which is Matthew. So just a quick note on that, the quote-unquote Brit Hadashah, as it's popularly called, or New Testament, as it's really popularly called, is really a compilation of the Gospels and the account of Acts and the Igerot, which are the letters of the Shliakim, which are the apostles. And you have the passage of, or the Slika, uh, you have the vision or the apocalypse or the revelation according to Yochanan. Okay. So just a couple of different uh, facets there to bring down because we did not really have a cohesive canon of Matthew through Revelation until at least around, I believe, 900 or later uh, when the printing press came out, obviously the King James Version and all that stuff. But before then, uh, especially early 100s and going up into the thousand, uh, we had revision after revision after revision. So if you check out the Shomer Man podcast, uh, and again, you don't have to just do the podcast on Anchor. You can also re listen to it on the iTunes uh, podcast, the Google podcast or Spotify or things like that. So just Google Shomer Man and you'll be able to find it. And pick your platform. There's all sorts of stuff. Castbox, Podbean. I mean, it's crazy. It's a lot of stuff. All that to say, on the uh, introduction to the Garrett to the Romans, the Letter to the Romans series that I started, 
probably won't finish. Just going to be honest. I thought I was, but I'm just not because obviously proof's in the pudding. If Shaul was anti-Torah, then, you know, the first chapter is just weird. So I don't know. I think just to prove the point of nothing in Romans contradicts Torah, if it does, then there's a problem with the the uh, interpretation. Because, again, if Shaul Chasve Shalom is anti-Torah and leading people away from the mitzvot, then uh, we definitely don't need to listen to him. And it's okay to be at a state of understanding that as a possible reality. Not as a reality, because it's not. But if it's a possible reality, be okay with that. Because especially coming from a church background, we think, oh my gosh, if Paul is wrong, then our faith is lost. And it's like, if your faith is based off of Paul, you might want to recheck your what you're doing. Look at your ducks, okay, because they're getting away. <laughs> your faith should be based off of the Torah. That's literally where God spoke to the only prophet of the Bible who saw things clearly, who was face-to-face with Hashem for, I don't know, 120 days. Literally. Our time, 120 days. Which... Think about that in the context of the time of our days compared to Hashem, because Moshe was totally in Shemaim with Hashem for however long 120 days is in heaven time. So I'm just saying, if we're going to base our faith off of Paul, or if we're going to base our faith off of what Hashem told Moshe, it's kind of this thing that we should uh, just kind of just say lie for a minute. And again, this is why the Gospels are so important, even though some people may say, oh, well, that should be part of the Old Testament, which you're just kind of like, if you ever hear that, it just kind of takes your breath away because you're like, what? You know, like some people see the Gospel accounts as that legit that they would canonize it with the Tanakh. It's just kind of like, whoa, what? Who, who turned the light on? Who's putting foil in the microwave? Right. You're just like, whoa, what is happening? But anyway, all that to say, the words of our Mashiach are Torah. It's commentary on Torah, you know, like, boom, as if the Torah scroll was speaking. That is the gospel accounts. So back to page 55, Zerubbabel also appears in the genealogy of Yeshua written by the physician Luke. Matiyahu's genealogy traces Yeshua through his adoptive father, Yosef. Now, understand in Judaism, when you're adopted, you're considered as if you were native born. This is how Moshe is known as the daughter, or Slika. <laughs> wow. Moshe is known as the son of the daughter of Pharaoh. And why is that important? Because Moshe's name is actually Tuvia. Because that's what his mother, Yaakovit, named him. So we don't know Moshe as Tuvia. We know Moshe as Moshe because 
Batya, the daughter of Pharaoh, named him. And Hashem was like, yeah, that's cool. And it's just like she took him in. She brought him into the palace. She raised him up. So Yeshua being took in by Yosef, raised up, you know, isn't this Yosef's son, the people would say. So, yeah. It goes on to say Luke's genealogy traces Yeshua's ancestry through his mother's Miriam side. So Matiyahu goes to the father and Luke goes through the mother. Okay, there is a problem which occurs in the lineage of Jehoiakim, which is also known as Jaconia or Coniah. Okay, so Jehoiakim and Jeconiah. The prophet Jeremiah records a denunciation of him. Thus said the Lord. Write this man childless, a man that shall not prosper in his day, for no man of his seed shall prosper, sitting upon the throne of David and ruling any more in Yehuda. That is from Yermiyahu, Jeremiah 22.30. Scripture appears to pronounce a threefold curse upon Jehoiakim. You know, I always wondered why did Kepha deny Yeshua three times and Yeshua restored him through three fold restoration. Ava, Ava, Ava. Which I just have to do this now. Ava is the gematria of 13. 13 times 3 is 39. Which 40 minus 1, lashes, which have to do with restoring a brother. Uh, we'll learn about that in later uh, Parshot and the book of Devarim. But 39, there's also a way of tying the zit zit that uh, correspond to 39. See if I can pull this up real quick. Um, go over here. It is going to be Parsha Shlach from the Keher Tumash. Really appreciate everyone's patience today because, again, I just have to tell you, I was not planning on any of this. <laughs> All my notes are not any of this. Okay. Said my disclaimers. Where is, okay, it's on the interpolated. Okay, Kehumash interpolated figure four, and not like the wrestling move. Um, Bami Bar 15, verse 39 says, uh, let's see here. On the right is the Chabad custom, according to which 39 coils are further subdivided into groups of three. Man. So tying the zit zit, 39 coils by groups of three. Talking about threefold curse. 
threefold denial, threefold restoration, and Chabad just so happens to have a custom to tie their zitzit, 39 coils, and subdivisions of three. Okay. All right, Chabad. What's wrong with y'all? Says, in light of this curse, there appears to be a great obstacle regarding the messianic line and especially Jehoiakim's inclusion within it. There is a widespread opinion that the denunciation of Jehoiakim through God's prophet was irrevocable. What is that verse about the gifts of the spirit are irrevocable? Where is that at? Uh, let's go over here. Boy, I tell you, this is crazy. I don't, I have no idea what's going on tonight. Like this is totally not what I wanted to teach on, but it's not about me. Okay. Romans eleven twenty nine. for God's gifts and his call are irrevocable or irrevocable, shall we say. What does irrevocable mean? That's a good question. Come on, help me out over here. Uh, boom. Not to be revoked or recall, unable to be repealed or annulled. So we cannot annul this. So, Romans 11, ridiculous. God's prophet was giving this prophecy to Jehoiakim and saying, and or the text is saying here that the denunciation of Jehoiakim through God's prophet, it can't be annulled. What the rabbis know about Messiah, page 56 says this would effectively preclude him from being within messianic lineage before jumping hastily to this opinion it is well to examine some arguments remember what we read at the beginning of this podcast volume of a pasuk about diligently seeking out those things that are in doubt ha'mek dovar Examine and clarify all doubts. So the first curse that Jehoiakim will remain childless was definitely lifted. The Tanakh makes it clear that Jehoiakim was in fact prolific and sired Shealtiel, Malkiram, Padiah, Shanazar, Jechamiah, Hoshama, Nadabiah, and Asir. Okay. So, so much for a curse on him. He was pretty fruitful and multiplied. That is from First Chronicles 3, 17 through 18. Jehoiakim was king of Yehuda when the children of Israel were taken captive into Babylon. He was in prison there. So the second curse that Jehoiakim 
would be a man that will not prosper in his days was also ameliorated by God. For we read, and it came to pass in the year of captivity, the king of Babylon did liberate Jehoiakim from prison. And he set his throne above the throne of the kings that were with him in Babylon. Wow. So remember those three things that can't be annulled? Here's three times that they were annulled. Or here's the three instances in which they were annulled. So, so far we got First Chronicles 3, 17 through 18. Then we got Second Kings 25 through, or 25, 27 through, thir- to, blah. Second Kings 25, 27 through 28. Thereby, if God could forgive Jehoiakim to the extent of lifting the first two curses against him, it is plausible. It just possible that the third one could be lifted as well otherwise mashiach could not descend from shlomo through yoyakin so vayikra rabbah leviticus rabbah 19:6 explains how the problem was resolved nebuchadnezzar confined him yoyakin to prison the great Sanhedrin sat and said, Shall in our days the royal house of David cease, of whom it is written? His seed shall endure forever in his throne as the sun before me. Talim 89.36 What shall we do? Let us win favor with the queen's governess, so that the governess will persuade the queen and the queen the king. It's very, very smart right here. Rabbi Shabbatai said, Jehoiakim did not leave prison before the Holy One blessed as he pardoned him, Jehoiakim, all his sins. Thus God forgave Jehoiakim's sins, and his wife gave birth to Shiltil and Asur. Shiltil means, I asked of God. Asir, sleek eyes say Shiltil and Asur. Shiltil and Asir. So Asir means prisoner. Hence, the rabbis understand that Jehoiakim asked God to forgive him while in prison and that God expressed his forgiveness by giving him sons. Forgiveness while in prison. Well, Kepha was also forgiven or pardoned, shall we say, from prison. And he showed up to a prayer meeting that people were having, probably a Ma'ariv. Uh, because he was in prison and it was during the festival of Pesach. This is in the Acts, by the way. And he showed up and everybody's like, what, 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 what are you doing here? <laughs> you know, and he's just, oh, I just came to say the Shema with everybody. No, okay. But anyway, true story though. He was let out of prison and pardoned. And probably against the will of those who imprisoned him. But anyway, we digress. The returning exiles from Babylon in 539 BCE appointed Zerubbabel to be their prince. Okay, so again, Zerubbabel is the grandson of Jehoiakim. So the appointed prince upon the return from Babylon is the grandson of the one who was cursed. (laughs) And apparently all three curses got 
annulled. And it says they obviously did not think that the curse was still in effect since Zerubbabel was a direct descendant of Jehoiakim. Moreover, the post-exilic prophets exalt Zerubbabel. There's even a Sefer Zerubbabel, the book of Zerubbabel. I think we might be reading from that tonight. Maybe. I don't know because not getting to my notes right now says and place their hope for Yisrael in him since or slika hence for example the prophet Zechariah exclaims who are you O great mountain before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain and he shall bring forth the headstone of it with shouting the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also finish it. For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel. Zechariah 4.6 So it is fair then to assume that whatever the denunciation against Jehoiakim, it was pardoned by God even as the king of Babylon pardoned Jehoiakim and released him from prison, Thus, the Messiah would not be prevented genealogically from being of the seed of David, Shlomo and Hezekiah through Jehoiakim, to whom the Mashiach or the Messianic promises were given. Okay, so I definitely wanted to make sure I read that because... There's a whole thing about, well, Jehoiakim was cursed. So if you're saying the Messiah descended from him, then that's wrong. So don't let anybody trip you up with that. There should be zero doubts. So Matthew and Luke are on to something. And it's just amazing that that's the backstory behind it all. So now let's go back over here to page 50. Mashiach is from the lineage of Shlomo and Hezekiah. So let's go out over here. It says the promised one who would sit on the throne of David forever. This is middle of page 50 was the Messiah. Slika, because it talks about the seed of David and you would think, well, Shlomo was the seed of David. Well, a bunch of other children was too. David had 10 sons, by the way. I think we might be reading that in a minute uh, to source that out. But... Why don't we just read it right now? David had 10 sons. Who else had 10 sons? Benjamin. Why is that important? Because there were really supposed to be 12 sons had by Yosef. But after the incident with him and Potiphar's wife, he only had two. And the other 10 had to be born by his younger brother, Benjamin. Have fun with the Midrash on that one. Because I'm not bringing it up. <laughs> Even though I kind of brought it up. But here is our source for the sons of David. It is First Chronicles 3, 1 through 5. Who are they? Let's talk about them. The firstborn, Amnon of Ahinoam, the Jezreelitis. The second, Daniel of Abigail the Carmelitess, the third, Absalom, son of Machah, the daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur, the fourth, Adoniah, the son of Hagit, the fifth, 
Sheftiah of Abital the sixth, Ethrim by Egla, his wife. Six were born to him in Hebron, and there he reigned seven years and six months. In Jerusalem he reigned. Okay, why is this important? Because remember we count the reign of kings from Nisan, right? Nisan. So what happens six months from Nisan? Tishrei, i.e. The, the ridiculous calendar month. So, well, technically, I guess you could say Elul because Elul is the sixth month. But, okay, you're looking at Elul Tishrei time. So you have a complete cycle of seven years. And then you have six months in. So like headed up to Rosh Hashanah. And that was the time period of David's reign in Hebron. Full cycle and then halfway through the year. And then it goes on to say in Yerushalayim he reigned for 33 years. And these were born to him in Yerushalayim. Shemaiah and Shobav. So wait, 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 wait. There were six children born, and then we have a break, and then we go into the last four. So we have a six and a four. Let's see, where are we looking at here? Okay. For some reason, I don't know. Just thinking about this, the six and then the four being broken up. All right. In Jerusalem, he reigned 33 years, and these were born to him in Jerusalem. Shemaiah and Shobav and Natan and Shlomo, four of Bat Shevas, the daughter of Amiel, or Batshua, the daughter of Amiel. So we know Shlomo was born of Bathsheba. So apparently there's a Bathsheba connection, which let's go look at that. First Chronicles three, verse five. Okay. I, I definitely feel hijacked tonight. <laughs> and I'm okay with it. You know, one of the the major things about teaching and podcasting, especially when you have zero authority, (laughs) can't really, uh, can't really, beggars can't be choosers, I guess is what I want to say, because I just want to be a student of the scriptures, which I meant to uh, encourage everyone on that, because Vayuva Pasuk goes into appointing for yourself a teacher to remove all doubts. And I didn't want to seem presumptuous, like, oh, let me be your teacher and take away all your doubt. But no, just to encourage us that if you don't actually have a teacher, like a rabbi, then you might want to get one, uh, at least for the sake of teachings, so that you can have something cohesive to to follow, so that you're not following a bunch of people. Uh, And also um, to know that you should be a student of the scriptures via the Ruach HaKodesh, which obviously there's a, a stair-step way to get to that because there's divine inspiration and, and things like that. But 
especially since we follow Yeshua Mashiach, like he's our rabbi, and who is Yeshua's rabbi? It's Hashem. And it's all connected, you know, and everything that, you know, we really want to be a student of the scriptures and allow Hashem to really grant us the Hidush, the Hidush, which is the, the illuminating the new thought and not something that just, you know, flies out of thin air and just like, oh, let me just make this up. But it's actually connected and grounded in like tonight as I'm reading, I'm just going straight through the sources and it's just like read a little here this source comes up and it's like go over here and then this source lights up it's like like, okay go over there so anyway just a little side trail just to encourage everybody um be a student of the scriptures and and stick to the sources so when i look up batshua it says, Bachua, perhaps the daughter of opulence, an Israelite woman, also a Canaanite woman. It says that, boy, I wish I had commentary on Chronicles. It says, she's the wife of David, the mother of Shlomo. And it says, Bathsheba. For instead of Batshua. Now the difference between those two is a Vav and a Bet. And it says compare the both. It says but probably a textual error. Second Samuel eleven three. Batsheva Bat Eliam. Daughter of Eliam is way different from the daughter of Amiel. (laughs) This is crazy. Eliam and Amiel. Oh my gosh. They have the same letters. (laughs) Okay. This is crazy. I wish you could see this. If you could look up the Hebrew of these verses. Okay. Um, first Chronicles three, five, second Samuel 11, three. First of all, we got the discrepancy between Bathsheba and Bathsheba, which the both names are the same, except the bet and the Vav between the sheen and the Ayin at the end of the name. Then you have Amiel and Eliam. It's just rearranged letters. So that makes me think, what does the Targum say about interchanging the bet and the Vav? Let's go with bet because I bet it has something to say. Hmm. (laughs) Check this out from the dictionary of the Targum. Bet, the second letter of the alphabet, its sound lies between a pay and a vav, whence it interchanges with either a pay and uh, also interchanges with a mem. Okay. 
That just happened. Let's look over above. Sixth letter of the Hebrew Aleph Bet, it interchanges with the Bet. <sighs> I don't really know how to explain this, but just from a textual Targumic, yeah, just to make a word up, tar from the Targum, the Bet and the Vet can be interchanged. They both have a similar sound. And a side note it said the bet can sound like a pay what anyway um but sheva but shua and eliam and amiel like if you took these letters and just put them side by side and put a little reflective mirror in between them you could literally make the same name so but sheva Bat Amiel, Bat Sheva, Bat Eliam. Like, it's just there. Anyway, I don't know if you can really see that, and I don't want to keep taking much time on it, but just what I'm looking at over here is absolutely insane. And because I love Gematria so much and understand that you can rearrange the letters, rearrange the numbers, like, it's ridiculous because that basically means they have the same gematria uh when you look at these words now what's the difference between a bet and a vav so you have a two and a six the difference is four so bat sheva bat amiel that's four words bat one part sheva second part Bot again for daughter and then Amiel or Eliam. So if you broke up those words, you have four words, which you could make the gematria kolel for the number of words when it comes to bot sheva with the bet. So that way you can make up the difference to get to the six. I should not have explained that. But anyway, just saying it's the oh my gosh it's i'm not gonna let it go am i nope it's just saying like Batshua and Batsheva are both the mother of shlomo there okay we'll put a pin in it be done move forward it's a long podcast anyway okay so, yes, we got David having 10 sons, and technically his son is supposed to sit on the throne, and he's supposed to be everlasting. When that was Shlomo, it wasn't everlasting, and things actually got worse because the kingdom split after Shlomo. And as we're going to read over here, Shlomo did something that people did not like. So let's go back up a paragraph. The psalmist speaks of the character of the promised son of David who would sit on the throne forever, he shall judge the poor of the people. He shall save the children of the needy. He and shall break into pieces the oppressor. Where does that come from? That comes from Psalm 72.4. So again, this is what the rabbis know about the Messiah, page 50. Yet... 
Shlomo became an oppressor himself whose burdensome taxes the people abhorred. Talk about a precedent for the Levites who became like horrible, like descriptive people during first century when it says you have a better chance being mauled by a bear or actually meeting a tax collector was like being mauled by a bear. And a lot of the Levites were tax collectors. So maybe not a lot of them, but there were quite a few Levites who were tax collectors and who one of your shoe was, uh, Talmudine was a tax collector. Who was that? Uh, let's see here. Source that thing out. Of course, Matthew. <laughs> Goodness. Matthew was a tax collector. Okay. And he was a Levite. Okay. So there was this one time where we were having a discussion between the Avengers and we were like, let's line up the 12 Talmudim to the 12 sons of Yaakov. And it's like, well, guess who's the Le who's the Levite? Who's the Levi? Matthew. So that solves that problem. Anyway, so since that happened, the people abhorred him. It says, after his death, the people approached his son, Rehoboam, and asked that he make their yoke lighter. When Rehoboam refused, the kingdom split and he lost 10 of the tribes of Israel. Again, I mentioned earlier, Yosef lost 10 possible sons he could have had. So it's interesting here that Shlomo's son, Rehoboam, lost 10 possible quote-unquote sons, i.e. the different tribes that he could have had. <clears throat> anyway, back to our next paragraph, though. So the one who was supposed to sit on the throne forever that wasn't Shlomo, right? It's supposed to be the Mashiach says he is to bring peace to the hearts of the people. Sleek, let me just start over. Read the whole paragraph. The promised one who would sit on the throne of David forever was Mashiach. According to the psalmist, he is to be everlasting. He is to be compassionate. He is to cause joy and blessing. He is to bring peace to the hearts of the people. Mashiach's influence was even to be extended to the Gentile peoples. Remember, we talked about that and what the Messiah or Mashiach, who about him having um, influence over those who are anti-Semitic. And it's like, here it is right here. His uh, his influence would even was even to be extended to the Gentile peoples. And he will he would provide well for their physical needs. His name is everlasting, which is the word ye known. That's the Yod of Mashiach, by the way. We talked about that in previous class. Appointed by God before the Son was created, and his person is glorious. 
Shlomo did not fit this description of the promised one who was to sit upon the throne of David. None of his descendants who served as kings in Israel could either. That meant Hezekiah, who was a descendant of Shlomo, was not the Mashiach. As some text in the Talmud and in other commentaries say, if there was a Mashiach, then it was Hezekiah. So that just got horribly shot down by, oh, this is great. I mean, not great, but this is, this is crazy because here's the sources. Telim 72.5, Telim 72.12 through 13, Telim 72.7. Telim 72, 10 through 11. Telim 72, 16. And it says, his name shall endure forever. His name shall be continued as the sun. Telim 72, 17. The school of Yanai taught the name of the Mashiach is ye known. As it is written, Lifne Shemesh ye known Shemo. His name is he known before the sun was created. Sanhedrin 98b. Okay, the light that preceded the light. Genesis 1, we talked about that. So nonetheless, the people continued to hope for the one who would. It says more than two centuries passed. And I was like, 200 years. I wrote that in my notes. It says prophetically. Additional details were accumulated about this son of David, son of God. Hosea informed the people, however, that they would have a long wait. And this is when I went to Luke chapter 2, verse 25, about Shimon, who was like, finally, the salvation of Hashem, I can die. Woo, he's born. How long was that? From the birth of Yeshua to the... uh, the beginning of the kingdom split, you know, like that is, that is a long time. So let me read Luke two twenty five because just put that in context real quick. Luke two twenty five. Cause there's a, also a daughter of Asher here, which connects to the daughter of Asher that revealed to Yaakov that Yosef was still alive. So it says, when eight days had passed for Yeshua's Brit Milah, this is going back to verse 21, just to get context, his name, or he was named Yeshua, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So he had a name even before he had a, like a physical body. And we've been talking about Yenon the whole time. He had a name even before there was a physical creation. So there's where those match up. And it says, and when the days of their purification were fulfilled, according to the Torah of Moshe, they brought him to the temple to present to Adonai. As it is written in the Torah of Adonai, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to Adonai. So they offered a sacrifice according to what was said in the Torah of Adonai, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Side note, this is next week's Torah portion. Tazria. 
which Tazria and Medzora are together this year. Brugashem. So going on, it says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Shimon, and this man was just and pious, waiting for the consolation of Israel. The Ruach HaKodesh was on him, and it had been revealed to him by the Ruach HaKodesh that he would not die before he had seen the anointed one of Adonai. Heavy statement. So in the Ruach... Shimon came into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Yeshua to do for him according to the custom of the Torah, Shimon received him into his arms and offered a bracha to God, saying, Now may you let your servant go in shalom, O sovereign master, according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the nations and the glory of your people, Israel. Wow, what a bracha. It says, and his father and his mother were marveling at the things that were said about him. And Shimon offered a bracha over them and said to Miriam, his mother, behold, this one is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that is opposed. Hmm. So Mashiach who is going to be opposed. Well, there you go. Just think about that for a moment. <laughs> so the thoughts of many hearts may be uncovered. Wow. The more opposition that comes out about Mashiach, the more hearts are uncovered. For better or for worse. And it says, and even for you, a sword will pierce through your soul. Now, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, was a prophetess. She was well advanced in age, having lived with a husband only seven years and then as a widow until the age of 84. Goodness. That's a long time. So then it says she never left the temple serving night and day with fasting and prayers and coming up for every instant she began praising God and speaking about the child to all those waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem when Joseph and Miriam had completed everything according to the Torah of Adonai they returned to Galil to Galilee to their own city in Nazareth this is why Yeshua is called Yeshua Hanotri because he's from Nazareth and that's really the meaning of Nazarene. It's you can connect it to the Nazarite vow, but it's really more saying that he's from Nazareth. Um, so you have two witnesses over here, Shimon and Anna, which is crazy because Anna, like Anna Hoshi Anna, like please now, save now kind of thing. Please save now kind of thing. Uh, and then Shimon, which is here. So Shema, nah, here now. Like if you put their names together and this is the salvation of Hashem. And it's like for this very long extended time, we've been waiting on the king and he's finally here. Now you can get a little bit more gravity to why it was so heartbreaking and defeating when Yeshua was pierced and placed on a stake and like, that's it. He's done. It's just like, 
wrapped up, body in the grave. Let's go eat matzah and bitter herbs. Let's eat the Pesach over bitter herbs. You know, and it's just like, man, you talk about having a Maror night and having a Carpus night. Like, that was the night. And then all of a sudden it's like, just kidding, guys, I'm back. I told you I'd be back, you know, and no Terminator stuff. But, like, I'm here. So, anyway, what the rabbis know about the Messiah. Let's go over to page 51. It says, the faithful ones in Israel in each generation were no doubt wondering whether the promised one would come in their generations. This is the same for us. Is Yeshua going to return in our generation? I pray he does. But we're in a long process of waiting, just like everyone else has been. It says, while they were waiting, Ahaz, an ungodly king, arose. Ahaz was challenged by God's servant, Yeshiahu, Isaiah, to heed God's word and not enter into alliances with the enemies of Israel. Ahaz refused. Isaiah tried hard to win over Ahaz and bring him to trust the Lord, but Ahaz refused and all signs from the Lord, or Sliga, he refused all signs from the Lord and with hypocritical piety, he declared, I will not ask, neither will I test the Lord. Just a side note, this right here is a case in point while we don't go out strong arming people into believing and God believing in Mashiach and believing in Torah and converting and stuff like that. We don't go strong arm people. We give them the opportunity as much as it depends upon us and we keep it moving. So if they don't want it, you don't force it to them. This is the, the cool thing about Abraham and Sarah, which by the way, Abraham begins with an olive. Sarah begins with Shin. Aleph Shin is the Hebrew letters that spell the word Aish, which is fire. When you have a fire, you don't go around throwing it on people. Fire is supposed to be for light and for warmth and use it for constructive purposes. This is the teaching of Parsha Zav as brought down from Rabbi Trugman that you want to make sure you're the fire that is lighting up the place and warming the place not a, a blowtorch burning down stuff and needing the fire department to always be on standby. So as it is with that, so it is with, with Mashiach, with mitzvot, with Torah, you know, you want to, to have that warmth, have that light. We're supposed to bring light and revelation to the world. You are the salt and the light of the earth. You're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. You know, city on a hill, put the lamp on the table, those kinds of things. You know, Mashiach stuff. So Ahaz was like, I don't want no signs. I won't ask. So God rejected Ahaz. This is back on page 51 now. He was unworthy of God's miracles, but God nevertheless gave him a miraculous sign to the whole house of David. So it's like, remember those miracles you didn't want? Well, here's your sign anyway. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive, bear a son, 
shall call his name Emmanuel. Butter and honey shall he eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that you abhor shall be forsaken by both her kings. So that's putting a couple of things together. We got Isaiah 7, verse 12, and it says, The word here is oat, which is more of a wonderful sign or miracle. As for example, the Exodus plagues and the Noahic rainbow. See, that's the other thing about the plagues. They're called an oat, a sign. And the plagues... Just for, because I didn't get to do this last week. One of the plagues, when it came to the wild beast, the climate of each beast came with it. Because you think about the terrain and all that kind of stuff of what needs what to survive. And it was just like all this kind of stuff was being brought forth. Let's see if I can find that real quick. Just as a side note, because this wondrous sign, you know, this is what we're looking at with the virgin who conceives. Let's see, I found my source here. Okay, this should be it. The Arugat Habotem says that these words teach us that the climate of the land in which the animals normally reside was brought along with them. Since a change from hot, warm, or cold to another condition could be fatal, it was necessary to bring along the climate. So, yeah, so again, this is the plague of the mixture of wild animals. Wondrous sign. Just like a virgin who is going to conceive. Now, here's where this comes into play. Here, God promises a sign of a supernatural child born. Stop. Supernatural child? Seriously? So God says you're going to have a supernatural child. You're going to be born of a virgin. And the word for virgin is Alma. Says in the footnote. The word Alma. This word usually, if not always, refers to a virgin. The 70 Greek Jewish scholars who translated the Holy Scriptures into Greek in the 3rd century BCE translated Alma into the Greek word Parthenos, which means virgin. Some people say it's called young maiden. Well, the equivalent of the term in the cognate Hebrew, Ugaritic, also means virgin. So Alma is also related to Betula, interchangeable. 
si señorita and señora. You can call a señora a señora, but you can't call a señora a señorita. So, and I guess I meant to say you can call a señorita a señora, but you can't call a señora a señorita because obviously the implications of that. But anyway, don't think you would call a señorita a a señora unless you're really like trying to insult her. But just saying, technically, it's like you can't call a square a circle or something along those lines. I don't really want to get into that. Anyway, I don't edit that out (laughs) where's my dj okay anyway um yes so the alma who would carry the symbolic the supernatural child of the alma who would carry the symbolic name emmanuel so the name is not so much that he's called emmanuel but he's a carrier of the fact of what does emmanuel mean which is what god with us which is what Megillah 29a, the Shekinah. The Shekinah goes with Yisrael wherever they go. If if Israel is supposed to go into exile, the Shekinah goes with Israel into exile. Matthew 28. What does it say? Matthew 28, verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I command you and remember... I am with you. Zakur Emmanuel. And remember, Emmanuel. I am with you. Hmm. So then it says, he would be the promised king. Oh, I cannot forget to bring up the hilariously amazing, stunning, sourced out drosh that the incredible Talmud Shlita gave on this about maybe a year or so ago that when have you ever heard any of the early Mashiachs being called Emmanuel? You never heard anybody call Hezekiah Emmanuel. You never heard anybody call Shabbatai Zavi Emmanuel. Nobody calls Rabbi Malcolm Schneerson Emmanuel. You know, like he just went down this list and I was just like, wow, that's so true. So just because no one ever called Yeshua Emmanuel, Selah. Okay, so he would be the promised king who would not make alliances with Assyria. The mighty Assyrians would not prevail because Emmanuel and not Ahaz would rule Israel. says, but soon after there was a dawning of a new day, Ahaz had a son, Hezekiah, who ascended to the throne. He was a righteous and good king of great piety and obedient to the word of God. Would Ahaz's son, the good king Hezekiah, be chosen of God to fulfill all these prophecies that had accumulated through God's revelations from Adam to the prophet Isaiah? Man, that's a long time. It says, doubtless, (laughs) there we go, doubting again. Many, if not most in Israel, hoped that Hezekiah would be there, would be that kind. Indeed, some thought that he was. The idea that Hezekiah was the Messiah probably prevailed for a while. 
One rabbi as late as first century CE still maintained this position. Rabbi Hillel maintained Israel cannot expect Mashiach any longer for they already enjoyed him in the day in the time of Hezekiah. And then if we go over to page 53, it says of the increase of the government and peace, there shall be no end. Isaiah 9, 7. One may ask why in the Hebrew and the first word, Le Marbe, the letter Mem through the middle or in the middle of the word was written in its final form. There's a Mem Sophit, which is supposed to happen at the end of a word. But it's in the middle of the word when it comes to Isaiah 9, 7. It says the answer is that the Holy One, blessed be he, considered the possibility of making Hezekiah Mashiach. The passage goes on to imply that Hezekiah was not the Mashiach. And it explains that the closed mem signifies that this decision concerning Mashiach was closed for now and postponed to another time. So, with that being said, Benny B. Shlita, Ben Burton, Rabbi, or Slika of Letter of Jacob, brings this down in Jeconiah. Um, how do I do this? No. What am I doing? Okay. Just a couple of things. He does a two-part series on this. Um, is Yeshua descendant of King Shlomo? Says it is important to note that when we approach biblical genealogies, we must be careful to review the text line by line, carefully examining the names, the historical circumstances, manuscripts, and potential solutions to the issues. Again. Our commentary from Ha'amak Devor, or Dovor, on the Torah explains our passage, Vayikra 11.47, from Parshashmini. It says, examine and clarify all doubts. So, here it is. We're examining and clarifying all doubts. <laughs> Mashiach can't be descended of of Shlomo. It's like, oh, really? You have a doubt there? Let's examine. Let's clarify. That's what we've done for the past one hour and a half. Almost done. So if you're still with me right now, may Hashem bless you. This has been a long podcast, and I just thank you for your time. Lots, lots of uh, technical sources tonight. And we will end with the Messiah text after this so stay tuned everyone okay anyway uh this is a complex task so most anti-missionaries and skeptics grasp only a superficial understanding of the text without exerting the effort this podcast is a picture of the effort and the exhorting of yourself exerting of yourself that you have to do so don't ever let an anti-missionary, because you, they're not, they don't have labels on them, but don't ever get tripped up by stuff that there's actually sources for.
speaking of sources, I ran away from Zohar 60B. <laughs> anyway, just to cover that back up. But if Adam had not sinned and had not been driven out of exile of Ghani Din, he would have begotten offspring from the side of the Holy of Holies, and they would have been as supreme as angels, lived generations upon generations, as do angels above. But because he sinned and begot children outside the Garden of Eden, he did not merit to beget them in the garden. Therefore, they did not survive even only to take root in this world until Noah came and went into the ark. And from the ark, all descending generations of mankind emerged and outspread to all four corners of the earth. So in other words, the only lasting generations that was offspring of Adam is Noah. Because we have the generations of man all trace back to Noah. Okay. Now, back to the article from Letter of Jacob. It says, Moreover, without the component of Jew Jewish tradition, understanding these passages becomes extremely difficult. They can be resolved through diligence and careful study. Goodness, that's our tour portion this week. Diligence, careful study. Even the middle point of the Torah scroll, which is Darash Darosh, Drosh Drosh for the root word, uh, the Torah tells us in the very center, surely search and seek these things out. Like, get it in, basically. Get in there, work, study, show yourself approved. Iron sharpen iron, you know, those kinds of things. Goes down to First Chronicles 22.9.10 in the Ben Burton article. He says, Behold, a son shall be born to you who shall be a man of rest. I will give him rest from all his enemies all around, for his name should be called Shlomo, and I will give shalom and quietness to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name, and he shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom for over Israel forever. So Shlomo is the singled out son of all the other ten of David. It says, so... If the throne of his kingdom is Shlomo's, how can Yeshua be Mashiach since, according to Luke's genealogy, he is not physically from Shlomo? Luke's genealogy records Miriam's line as opposed to Matthew's genealogy, which records Yosef's line. According to Luke, Miriam descends from Natan, the son of David, not Shlomo. Zohar, Volume 3, 173b, gets into the mother of the Mashiach, whose name is Hebzibah. says, you that bring good tidings to Zion is Hebzibah, the wife of Natan, son of David. So Miriam has this whole Hebzibah connection because 
her giving birth to Yeshua was actually her bringing good tidings to Zion. And so it says, who is the mother of the Mashiach? Menachem, son of Amiel, who was her descendant. She shall go out and bring tidings about redemption. And she is part of the general meaning of you that bring good tidings to Zion. Zohar, volume three, 173 B. This is why probably there's a big hype on uh, Mother Mary and how she's all sorts of exonerated and things like that. Bringing up the wedding at Cana where she was like, yeah, do, you know, turn this water in the wine and the wine, you know, provide for this, this wedding. And he's like, it's not my time yet. And then Miriam leaves. and She's like, do whatever he tells you, you know, like Yeshua, you're going to do this miracle. These people need you. You're supposed to be providing for people. So anyway, it's like that whole thing. And then it says in Jewish Agada, the mother of the Mashiach is named Hebzibah, which means my delight is in her. This is apparently based on the passage applying to Israel. So a lot more to get into on that article. But when the angel greets Miriam, let's go back to that. Because I believe he says you have found favor with Hashem. Let's see here. Luke. Okay, we got that. Okay, here we go. Luke 1, 26. In the sixth month, the angel of Gabriel was sent by Adonai into a town in the Galilee named Nazareth. Now, remember how we talked about King David's reign was for seven years and six months in Hebron? Okay, so here's that sixth month coming into play (laughs) so it says and to a virgin engaged to a man named Yosef of the house of David so Yosef was from the house of David i.e. a right to the kingship the virgin's name was Miriam and coming to her the angel said shalom favored one Adonai is with you. Luke one twenty eight. So let's see what we got there. Luke one twenty eight. Let's do a little word study. The Lord is with you. Ah, you favored one. There it is. Greetings. You favored with grace. To make graceful, highly favored, receptive to God's grace. I might just go crazy if it connects to Hebzibah. Um, Endued Frith Grace. That's some crazy reading. Tell him 1826. Im Nakar or Navar Tit Barar 
show yourself pure. With the pure, you show yourself pure. Um, encompass with favor, honor with blessings. From Karis. Let's see what we got. Virtue gifts. To make graceful, endow with grace. Chain. Okay. So that's Chain. So let's see. Hepzibah. If I can spell it right. Just doing a little quick study. So, shouts out to Meora Shlita. Uh, she is one of our Avengers. She is the um, Mera from the DC universe. Um, her name is Hebzibah. So, Baruch Hashem. Ishnatav's wife. Okay, let's look up the Hebrew here. My delight is in her. What's the root? Chafetz. Like delight and pleasure. Desire. So, Chain and Chafetz. Just kind of looking up those two things. So, Hashem did take delight in Miriam. And the mother of the Mashiach is the one who Hashem takes delight in. She is desired. So... Probably doing a etymology on uh, Cain and Chefetz will probably be something really cool to do that I'm not going to do right now because we're going to finish up this podcast with the Messiah text on page 122. And here it says in chapter 13, in contrast to Christianity, and parts of which the mother of the Mashiach became a central divine personality whose popular worship frequently tended to overshadow that of her son. Boy, that has to be crazy. Here's one thing I really wanted to read real quick about Miriam, uh, the mother of Moshe. Yeah, that's right. The mother of Moshe. This comes from 
Shonaf Pinchas. Quoting Sota 12b. Miriam was the prophetess sister of Aharon. She took, etc. This teaches that Miriam prophesied while she was still only the sister of Aharon before Moshe was born and said, My mother is destined to give birth to a son who will save the people of Israel. Once Moshe was born, the entire house filled completely with the light. Her father, Amram, proceeded to kiss her on the head. He said to her, My daughter, your nevuah has been fulfilled. However, when they cast him into the river, her father proceeded to slap her on the head. He said to her, My daughter, where is your nevuah, which is prophecy, now? That is the significance of that which is written in Shemot 2.4. His sister stood at a distance to know what would become of him to know the outcome of her Navua. So then we put that over here with uh, the whole source and nothing but the source. Yeah, we learn from this passage that Moshe Rabbeinu, Yisrael's savior, was born due to Miriam's persuasive influence over her father, Amram. He remarried Yaakovid, and following suit, all of Yisrael remarried their wives. Hence, all the people of Yisrael were born in Mitzrayim. They owe their existence to Miriam. <laughs> Good night. Um, yep. So due to the influence of Miriam, Moshe and all the people who were delivered from its reign were born. Going on to say here. So and Bami Bar numbers 12, nine, the whole incident of Miriam getting Zarat. Moshe Rabbeinu did not have to pray extensively on behalf of Miriam to find cause for mercy as he did in the aftermath of the Chet HaEgel, the golden calf. His entreaty consisted of a mere five words, El Na Rafe Na La. Please heal her now. If, or it was as if, it was if he was saying to HaKadosh Baruch Master of the Universe, who knows better than you that this righteous woman did not intend to disparage me. After all, I was born on her account. So the one who would save Israel born on the account of Miriam is what I wanted to point out. Anyway, though Miriam was the merit of Moshe. And by the way, the rock that's known as the Mashiach that traveled with us in the wilderness. Uh, which source was that? Bring that source down to the source that says the rock was in the merit of Miriam. 
Tanit 9a. The well was given to the Jewish people in the merit of Miriam. So Mashiach was given in the merit of Miriam. Why do I call the rock the well uh, Mashiach? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Again, we don't know if it's really the first letter or the second one. But anyway, keep digressing. Says, for I do not want you to be ignorant, brothers and sisters, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed to the sea. They were all immersed into Moshe in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Mashiach. Exodus 17 6. And start from there, and you'll learn about Mashiach. So Mashiach is in the Torah. He was the one who gave us water to drink. So when Yeshua says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And out of your bellies will flow rivers of living waters. Those are all those connections. So again, all that to say about Miriam, who do we really look up to and focus on a lot? It's Moshe. We don't ever really exalt Miriam over Moshe there's not really a need to get into a competition on that but I just want to say that when it comes to the mother of the Mashiach it's like oh man everybody talking about mother Mary it's like they got statues for her like this is a series but anyway if you find out some research on who the statue of mother Mary really is it probably will disturb you even more so, going on over here, it says, In Judaism, the mother of the Mashiach remained a shadowy and enigmatic human figure to whom little attention was paid. What a difference. It says, In fact, there is only one Talmudic legend in which she appears. Her name is not even stated, but her husband's name is said to be Hezekiah. So, Here's the thing. I don't know. I think it's, is it in here? I'm going to read this from the Benny B article. You ever heard of uh, this thing called Yaboom, which is where the Leverite marriage takes place? So if a man is married to a woman, he dies. He, if he has a brother, close relative, that close relative uh, marries the wife through Leverite marriage and has to have a child to continue the 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 former or the late husband's name. Okay, so check this out. So it says, "This is the Messiah of Adonai who is hidden there from hidden here until the time of the end, and his name is Menachem, son of Amiel." He was born in the days of King David of Israel, and the Spirit carried him and hid him here until the end of, until the time of the end. What? And I asked Memtet, and he said to me, "The Holy One, blessed be He, will give the staff of salvation to Hebzibah, the mother of Menachem, and a star shall shine forth." Sefer Zerubbabel, cited in the Messiah text, page one twenty-five. The text goes on to describe the role Hebzibah will play in the end times when Menachem ben Amiel for the Mashiach 
is interesting. Menachem in Hebrew means comforter. And there's the verse it's based on, Lamentations 1.16. And then it says, here we go. The Chabad.org, the brilliant commentary of Rabbi Reuven Margolis on this difficult passage in the Zohar. The famed 20th century Jewish scholar and Kabbalist, Rabbi Reuven Margolis, explains that the Zohar is careful to describe the Mashiach as being a descendant of Natan's wife rather than of Natan himself. Natan had passed away childless, and Shlomo, his brother, married his widow according to the laws of Yibum, Leverite marriage. In a Leverite marriage, the firstborn son of the widow and the brother of the deceased is considered to be a continuation of the dead husband's line. Therefore, Mashiach is referred to here as offspring of Natan, even though he is a descendant of King Shlomo. That is from Chabad.org. Is the Mashiach a descendant of King Shlomo from Yehuda Sherpin? So, it says Miriam is a direct physical descendant from Shlomo, although it is legally counted to Natan. Yeshua descends not only legally from David and Shlomo, through Yosef, but also physically, Yeshua is indeed the branch of David who will wear the crown and restore Israel and the world to perfect shalom. So remember, one of King David's ten sons is uh, Natan. Let's go back up here to. Yeah. We got Natan and Shlomo. And again, that was from the first Chronicles 3, 1 through 5. And then you have King Shlomo himself. But the whole Hebzabotai is, where is this thing? So from that time of King Shlomo, got a line of pieces up here very delicately. So King Shlomo has a child. Okay, go on all the way down, you get to Hezekiah. But Natan has a child, you go all the way down, you get to Hebzibah. The reason why is because there this other Shlomo that's connected to Hebzibah. Let's see here. I was just reading this. I think this is in the Messiah text. Because it gets... Okay, yeah. It's it's here. On the Messiah text. 
Right. Okay. Sleek, I apologize. Don't be confused, please. <laughs> so you got Shlomo, descendants, Rehoboam, all the way. You get to Hezekiah. He's supposed to have the child. Or King Ahaz is supposed to have a supernatural child. He ends up just getting the sign. It's Hezekiah. Everybody's like, oh, look, Hezekiah, da, da, da. It's like, nope, it's not going to be Hezekiah. So then we move on. We wait. Yeshua's born. It's like, boom. All right, great. She was born of Miriam. Miriam's descended from Natan, one of King David's other sons. So it's just kind of like, so she's connected all the way back to Natan. So Yosef is the connection all the way back to Hezekiah and Shlomo and all the way up. Because Yosef is of the lineage of King David all the way right? So, boom, there's all of that. So now, bring it back over here to the Messiah text. Because this is our closing source. So, Hebzibah, we're going to get there. So, let's just keep going. It says, in fact, there's only one Talmudic legend in which her, in which she appears. Her name is not stated, but her husband's name is said to be Hezekiah, evidently so named after the king of Judah. So, there's another Hezekiah who's named after Hezekiah. It says, uh, whom some sages consider to have been an early Mashiach. Her son's name is Menachem, Comforter. This Mashiach was born on the very day the second temple of Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans. Okay, so here's what just happened. So you got a, a Shlomo and a Natan, two of the sons of King David ultimately get down to Yosef and Miriam who give birth to Yeshua. In the literature of the Talmud, we have a Hebzibah who is the wife of Hezekiah, named after Hezekiah, who descends from Shlomo. And she has a son named Menachem, who is destroyed in 70 CE with the destruction of the temple. He is the fitting description of the Mashiach who's supposed to be born of Hebzibah, who's supposed to inherit the throne of David. Slika. So you have all these pieces that have just come full play where you have Hezekiah's, Hebzibah's, sons of David, sons of Shomo, the whole Yibum Leverite marriage thing because Natan um, passes away and Shlomo steps in the picture. Keep my sources straight here. Da, da, da. Go back over here. From the Zohar passage, yeah. Because it says... Natan's wife is the one who's supposed to have the Mashiach. So Shlomo, his brother, married the widow. Okay. So now remember Shlomo and Natan are two of the ten sons of David. So according to the Midrashic text that this is a later event 
but it can also be foreshadowed in the earlier event because remember the two lineages of Matthew and Luke. This is so insane right now. I don't even know how to explain this. Hashem, help me. Okay, so when the time passes away, Shlomo steps in and Shlomo has relations with Natan's wife since Natan has passed away. The child that Shlomo and Natan's wife have, that son is directly related to Natan, but it's had through Shlomo. Now, there's a Menachem who's the child that is born from that. And that was attributed to Hezekiah, who was considered to be a Mashiach figure for Israel. But there was later in the first century, a Hezekiah who was named after that Hezekiah, who had a son named Menachem. And he was born on the day the temple was destroyed, which matches up with the Medrash from uh, Eka Rabbah Lamentations uh, Rabbah about the day the temple was destroyed. That is the birthday of Mashiach. This is the whole Tishbaav thing. So you got, again, remember how we talked about the shape shifting, the Mishnah Zura is the way you say that in Hebrew about the Mashiach. He's over here. He's over there. Just like the Loki character in the Marvel universe where it's just like, is he here? Is he there? Is he all that? And it's just like, okay, where is he? You know, same thing here. It's just like, we have all these floating pieces moving around and it's really hard to keep them together. And again, we're very late in the podcast to try to like jumble all these facts up. But the whole picture here we see is met in Yeshua because Miriam and Yosef, they're not named Hezekiah and Hebzibah or Natan and Hebzibah. They're named Yosef and Miriam, but yet they have Yeshua whose name is Menachem, who's the one who comforts the people. Because remember what Shimon from Luke 2 called Yeshua? The consolation of Israel, the Menachem. So you have, again, how we said you don't, we, we don't have any Mashiachs literally named Emmanuel, but we know that they have that appellation, that title. So that's what we're looking at. Okay. So, all of that to say, in one similar Talmudic story, the mother of the Mashiach remains anonymous, and another she is called Hebzibah, and is the wife of the prophet of Natan. Her son, Menachem the Mashiach, is, however, not the son of Natan, but of a certain Amiel. Says in a footnote, in a Midrash fragment published by Worthamer, Beit Midrashot 2504 says the genealogy of Hebzibah and Menachem is more is even more confusing. There it says, and thereafter will come the wife of the prophet Natan, son of David, Hebzibah, mother of Menachem, son of Amiel, son of David. Goodness. <laughs> anyway. He was born in the days of King David and ever since have been waiting, waiting, hidden in the city of Rome. 
Yep, we just read that. Basically, the son of David was born in the days of David, but was taken away, as Sephir Zerubbabel writes, and hidden away until the first century. And here it is, says that he's been hidden in the city of Rome. And we know the Talmud tells us that the Mashiach sits at the gates of Rome. So before the times or before the time comes for Menachem to reveal himself, his mother Hezbollah will slay two kings, gather all Israel, cause confusion in the enemy camp. And another Midrash, she is the widow of Zarephath and in yet another Naamah the Ammonite. So remember back to King David's sons, Shlomo, who is the son of Bathsheba, his wife was Naamah the Ammonite. So apparently the mother of the Mashiach is also Naamah. And then it says the wife of King Shlomo is identified as the Mashiach's early ancestress. Finally, in the Zohar, there is a myth fragment according to which the mother of both Mashiachs, son of Yosef and son of David, is none other than the Shekinah, the personified female aspect of God, who is also identified with the community of Israel. Let's read that one more time. It's been a ridiculous amount of podcasting tonight but i pray something was learned that it was beautiful what do we know what do we know is an understatement (laughs) says finally in the zohar there is a myth fragment according to which the mother of both messiahs the son of joseph and the son of david is none other than the shekinah the personified female aspect of God, the personified female aspect of God, who is also identified with the community of Israel. Okay, so that is from the Messiah text. And here's what Ishpela had to say. Born of the Spirit. And he says, are you a teacher of Israel and you don't know this, Nicodemus, which is Noctimon? And I think, okay, yep, and that's it. So we'll end it there. Kili Shuateka Kiviti Adonai, Baruch Abab, Hashem Adonai, send Mashiach now. Baruch Atah Adonai, Eloheinu Menachah Asher Natan Lanu Torah Temet, Vekaye Olam Natan Betokainu. Baruch Atah Adonai, Noten HaTorah.